Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. I'm Athena Dixon, a co-host of the New Books and Poetry podcast via the New Books Network. Today, we are speaking with Sarah Adelman about her new hybrid collection, The Lamp Black Blue of Memory, My Mother Echoes. Sarah Adelman was born and raised between the bayous of Houston, the swamps of Louisiana, and the desert of El Paso. She was a Peace Corps volunteer in Bangladesh, studied yoga in India, and taught English in China. Sarah earned her MFA from the University of Texas at El Paso and works as a certified yoga therapist specializing in traumatic brain injury survivors. Her work has been published, acknowledged, or is forthcoming in Kindred Magazine, Tureen, Glimmer Train, and America Writers Review. Sarah's first book, The Lamp Black Blue of Memory, My Mother Echoes, was published by Tolson Books in 2019 and is a finalist for the Colorado Book Award in Creative Nonfiction and for the Eric Hoffer Da Vinci Eye Award. She lives in Denver with her husband, almost two-year-old son, and their 13-year-old dog, Thank you so much for joining us today, Sarah, and congratulations on your first book. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I'm really excited to talk to you today because your book is kind of like unlike anything that I've ever read. It's this beautiful balance of poetry, memoir, and nonfiction, and I'm glad to have a chance to speak with you about it. Likewise. My first question is that I was reading over your bio when you originally sent it, and you've done some like really amazing things. One of the things that I like to do is kind of get a feel for the writers. Like, how did they come to writing? How are their lives informed by writing? So would you be able to give a little bit of a background on how you came to be a writer, um, your MFA process, just so we can kind of get a feel for you before we talk about your book? Yeah, of course. Uh, so my my mother was a poet. And um, and we I, I grew up, my brothers and I grew up with you know, books in the house. And that's, you know, if it was a, a rainy afternoon on a Saturday, I would, I would go and grab, um, I, I, I tended to, to grab the Hemingway books, um, and, and read those lots of, uh, Larry McMurtry as well. Um, and, and so, so grew up reading, uh, and then always gravitated, uh, towards those, um, those subjects in, in high school and in college, uh, I ended up getting my, my undergraduate, uh, in a liberal arts degree, but, but part of it was English and, um, just it always wrote on the side, nothing more than, you know, the, some poetry here and there, um, published a few things in the, in the campus, um, lit mag. And then it kind of fell by the wayside in that it wasn't um, a daily practice anymore. I uh, proceeded to, to, to move through life and um, join the Peace Corps and, and, and went to China. And, and, and while I was writing during those periods, it was more of um, just kind of journaling or essaying um, for my own sanity. Uh, and then um, in 2012, working, I was working towards becoming a certified yoga therapist and I wanted to go to 
Southeast Asia and and learn more about Buddhism and meditation for those purposes. So I went with the intention of 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 that and then during those 5 weeks that I was there I was writing home and I turned my my yoga website at the time into it was a WordPress site and so I turned it into more of a um a a, a way to stay in touch with the people back home and was writing on the buses and the in the in the cars and um in the hostels at night and um, on the just the side of the road and and it became the process and the process of of writing and then sharing with other people and and connecting in that way and so when I came home the one thing that I knew what what came out of that trip it wasn't necessarily learning more about meditation and and Buddhism but it was more about knowing I have to write this is this is I know my life is headed in this direction and I have to write. I can't stop now. And so I would wake up in the mornings and go sit by the fireplace and write, write. And it came out as poetry. And so I was, I was writing poetry. I had, I had a lot of it collected. And, um, and then I was, uh, looking my, my email, I was sent something about UTEP. I was living in El Paso at the time and they were doing a big campus reproject. And so I was just moving through and looking at the, at the, the different information about it and found that they offer an MFA program in creative writing and then found that they offer an online MFA, which was perfect because I was working and the hours were kind of crazy with, with yoga therapy. And so I, I went and I talked to, um, uh, Lex Williford and he, I sat in his office and he read over, I brought him the poems that I had been writing and he said, he said, yeah, go ahead and apply. Uh, you'll, you'll, you know, you won't have a problem getting in. And and I was accepted and, um, and then started that process of the, uh, more of the, the formal writing, the, the learning about, um, the craft of writing. And during my MFA program, I took a, a class from Liz Sheed, who is an incredible writer and teacher, and she became my mentor and my thesis director, and she was teaching creative nonfiction. And it was when I learned about that genre that I just fell in love and felt like I had a, I had a home um, and began that, that was, that was it. And so I've been, I, I've been writing and, um, yeah, creative nonfiction is is kind of where I I feel most at home because it is all encompassing. It allows for poetry. It allows for essay. It allows um, to to use the the space of the page in a way that isn't necessarily used in traditional prose writing. Um, yeah, and and so that's so here we are. <laughs> I am glad you kind of brought that up because my my next question really was that I found your book so intriguing and I was interested in how you came to the the actual final form of the book because it was kind of like having the best of both worlds in your hands. I have a very similar background, started with poetry and have moved into creative nonfiction. And it's always interesting to see poets write creative nonfiction because there's always that poetic element. Um, so how did you kind of come to this idea of doing a book that really is like a hybrid between the two genres? Yeah. Um, the first is that that, you know, it, it is how I write. The The second is that the subject matter 
I felt like needed to be reflected in the form of the book. And the subject matter largely is grief and it is moving through loss and and what does that look like? And so when we when we are grieving, we we can't process it all at once. We can't we can't just move through it and be done and and that's it. It's messy and it's and it's um, all over the place and it's unpredictable and it and it's doesn't necessarily um, go the way that we want it to all the time. And and so in that way, the the book does the same thing. It it moves from more of a a prose um, kind of a a uh, like a left brain approach, um, a very uh, analytical, practical, factual base, and then and then moving from there into the more the poetry and the prose poetry, and uh, and 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 really delving into the the process of grieving, and that and that's that's poetry, you know, that's more the right side of, of the brain and allowing the reader to feel that by, by moving back and forth between the two is representative of, of also how grief works within, within our own life and, um, using language to, to move from the, that analytical practical side into that, which we don't necessarily feel with our, with our body or we feel with our body, but we don't have the words. Um, and we, it's a, it's a feeling, it's a esoteric, it's this, this spiritual place that we are experiencing and moving through. So I'm glad again, like you're kind of like leading me into the things that I really was intrigued with and things that I wanted to ask. Um, and I was, I was looking at the book and I was, I was reading, I was making all these notes. And one of the things that kind of came to my mind was I was interested in really knowing how you made that balance between kind of the more straight nonfiction, like the research portions um, and the actual personal narrative, because you have these sections of the book that are very much informative. So we're looking at brain functioning. We're looking at the history of the railroad and things along those lines. And how are you kind of um, weaving those through the personal stories and what kind um, kind of considerations did you give to that? Yeah. So, so when I first started writing it, I, I didn't know that this was going to be what it became. I, I didn't set out to write a book about my experience of of grief and losing my mother. Um, it, it was more of a, I thought it was going to be more of a like exploration into forgiveness and an exploration into um, what moves a person forward in life, which it is. It is all of that. Um, but I didn't realize that my, my personal story was going to be tied in there. Um, and I, and I did not want to write about that and, and I hadn't approached it yet. And so when I, when I started writing, I had whiteboards and I, I wrote forgiveness on the top of one and I had another one, um, and wrote, you know, I think, um, choice, um, acceptance and, and just kind of looked, looked at those and had them on the side. And, and what is it that I, that comes to mind when I think of those and looking at forgiveness, you know, my, the last words my mother spoke to the man who killed her were, I forgive you and God does too. So I wrote those words on the whiteboard and from there it, you know, I, I couldn't not look at that story. I couldn't put that in there and then not say anything about it or delve into that. And, and how do I, how do I feel about that? And, 
And that's the thing, as you know, when you, when you're writing, you, you let go to the process. And so the process then took me to what, you know, what, <laughs> what it is now. And, um, I don't even remember what your question was. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just. So it was um, asking if you were giving consideration to how you were balancing both that research portion of the book and also the personal narrative. And I think that you answered it because if you weren't originally going into it thinking that it was going to be a personal story, um, you did a very good ba- job at balancing what your original intention was into what it actually ended up being. Um, so I applaud you for that. Yeah. And it- Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah, and it and it really is. It really is a reflection of the, like I said earlier, not being able to process all at once, and so needing to to step into it and then come back out again, and step back into it and then come back out again, and uh, and so the book reflecting reflecting that process of grief that we that we all go through whenever we are grieving, and and trying to to balance it in that way of. Um, stepping into the insanely emotional part and then uh, stepping out a little bit and allowing the metaphors of the train and the metaphors of the way that, that memory and learning work in the brain, allowing those metaphors to carry through so that when we step back into the, 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 um, the, the poetry, the, the emotional side of, of the story that it's, um, bolstered, it's, uh, it's more round, it, you know, it's, it's felt in, in different ways. It's an interesting, an interesting thing that I noticed with your actual formatting of your book, um, is that you do have your sections that are very, um, densely prose. And then you have, um, kind of these standalone untitled poems. And then what I've deemed the frame of poems as I was reading, mm-hmm. would there be a, a situation where you would go back and write the book that you originally intended without the personal narrative? Um, how do you think that that would work? Or if, is that something that you've actually considered doing? Um, oh man, no. Yeah. I can't imagine, uh, the, this book without the, the personal narrative. Um, it, you know, kind of all, it's like the body and soul are entwined together and and you don't have one without the other if you're living. And I, and I don't think that, um, that would, the, the book wouldn't exist without that, that personal narrative in there. I, I just kind of mentioned what I deem to be the frame poems. So as I was reading the book, um, there are these, like for anyone who definitely needs to read the book, you're going to look at these pages. And some of those pages have um, like a line that sits to the right or to the left or the top or the bottom that are kind of framing the central portion of that page. And it kind of got me to thinking if these were kind of like whispers among the heaviness of some of that prose or almost like wisp of memory and if at some ways they were a, a way of distancing or a way of putting the personal into the research, and if that was something that you considered while you were kind of offsetting those individual lines. Yeah. So all of the words that trail on the sides of the pages are my mother's poetry. And and that was that was one of the last additions I made to the book. And the the manuscript was not complete. It wasn't it wasn't ready and I and I just didn't know what it needed. And I there was nothing, you know, it was one of those things where I just, 
was emotionally drained and I would go back and I'd put it aside for a few months and then I'd go back and I'd look at it and and I'd you know I'd make some changes here and there but but nothing major and and it really was just where it was and then a, a friend asked me for a line I, I had sent her a line of one of my my mother's poems and she asked me for the whole poem so I went back and was going through her poetry my mother started writing poetry when she was 11 and and wrote up until the day that she died and so she's got this this huge amount of work and she would she would publish her own little zines she would publish her own little um, collections and so I've got a copy of of each of the collections that she did. And I, I, so I was going back and, and looking for that one particular poem, and I was struck at how many metaphors and images resonated with what I had written. And so then I started playing with, okay, her her words need to be in here. Like th- this is, she's speaking through the story. And so I played with putting the poems in their original format throughout, throughout. And it, it did something to the, the story that didn't work. It just, it broke it up too much. It made it too much of a, um, it, it separated. And, and so then I started looking at it and I was like, you know, she, she just, she's here. She's in the story the entire time. She was through my grief process. She, her words and her example and, and who she was and who she wasn't. And, and all of that, was a part of the journey. So she, she needs to be on the page with my own words. And so then looking at it from that view and, and then just started playing. And so I, I did have a, um, a, I thought hard about, do I really want to take her poems where she made distinct choices and, and line breaks and stanzas and, and break them up in this way. And the ultimate decision of course was, was, yeah, I, I do. Because when also when we're, you know, she's, she is gone. She is no longer here. And so in a sense, her, her body is gone. Her, the form is gone of her, but the soul is left. The words are left. And, and that, that's what trails around the pages. And, and in a way now she, she, not in a way she does, she serves as a guide and she echoes and she moves forward and, and having, the words around my words, every, all of those are very deliberate and they, I feel like they echo uh, the topic that's being talked about. That is um, absolutely beautiful. I had no idea. I was reading them and I'm like, this is like beautiful. They were, like I said, like these wisps of memory that kind of like were perfectly woven throughout what was actually in the center of the page. So knowing that's how you you added that and what that's there for is an an amazing detail. And it kind of makes me think, um, I wanted to ask you if you see this collection and poetry and memoir in general as like tools of preservation. I think sometimes we are caught in the history of what is like kind of like nonfiction, but I don't know if we give the same kind of sway to memoir and poetry as means of preservation. And as if you're writing this book, were you thinking of using this as a way to preserve not only your mother's story, but also your father's? Right. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely believe that um, poetry, memoir are the the soul of our culture and our history. And and th- those are the voices. Those are absolutely the voices that that are speaking 
the truth and that are speaking what's being lived. And, uh, and so, so yes, um, to that, to that first question. And in, and in thinking about preserving, yeah, once I, once her words were in the, the book, it was that point that I, that I felt this new sense of, of urgency to get it published and just wanting her words to be out there because then, you know, then she lives, she goes on. And the more, every time somebody reads her words, her memory, her essence comes back into, into being. And, you know, the, the very first um, poem of hers that opens up the book, um, just going to read that's like three lines. Um, Let's see. uh, Quietly, the sky bleeds red, the open gash of autumn sunset. Where does memory go when all have died who once gave the past a life? As bales of fog line the docks, rain whispers secrets. I am not alone. And and so with that in mind, absolutely, this is a a preservation, um, an ode (laughs) to, to her and her and her life and her memory. Um, and, and every time somebody reads it with, with any book of poetry, with any memoir, that, that time, that period is being um, brought back into, into life. So you are very um, adept and very good at honoring your mother in this book as well. But your father also obviously makes appearances. And one of the most beautiful things that I thought you put in this book was this break between pages 74 and 75 um, as your father is jumping off of the dunes. And there's this beautiful format where we have like the way the pages are broken that you almost have this suspense. And then page 75 starts with kind of like the landing of his body. Um, So how are you kind of like pulling your father into this story as well? Because that grief is not only yours, but also his. And it seems in some ways his grief um, was like this weight that everyone had to work around. So how are you honoring him as well through this book? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Oh man. Yeah. He, he is still alive. And I've had people ask me about um, thinking that he has, has also died because that's sort of the way that I set it up in the book. Um, Because we, we did, we lost the man that we knew that we grew up with my brothers and I, my two, my two younger brothers, the, the man that, that man is a very different person than, than who exists today, um, in, in different ways. Um, but, but losing, losing him, um, as well. And so grieving, grieving, not only the loss of my mother, but, but grieving the loss of him in, in brain injury, there's a, a term called the um, the ambiguous loss, and it's when somebody experiences a a brain injury, and then on the other side of it, they are a different person. They might have a different personality. They can no longer return to the same job. They um, the the spouse might leave, and and so it's this this grieving of the person that was, even though that body is still there. The, the brain is different and that person is different. And so it's an ambiguous loss. It's a loss. And, and there are families that will have actual funerals for that person and then, and then restart into a new life with this, the brain injury survivor, the, the son, the daughter, the, the husband, the wife that they, that they now have in their life. And, 
and so that was, um, I was looking at my, my father in that way, um, you know, the ambiguous loss of, of my father. Uh, and that was the way the, this book, the lamp black blue memory opens up is with that, that essay, um, that is actually entitled, um, on its own. It was the ambiguous loss of my father. Uh, and that's, um, the, and then the, that middle part of, of him, jumping and, um, trying to, trying to encapsulate who he is at his core. And, and even though he is a different person than, than, than who we grew up with, because loss does change you. Grief does change you. It, it provides you, you know, with, with opportunities to, to move through. And, um, and when you get to the other side, you, you're going to be a different person. And, and so he's a different person than, than he was when we first, we all first <laughs> started the process. Um, and so, yeah, just trying to honor, honor him as well. And, and, uh, do you, do you mind if I just read what you were just referencing? The, oh no, the, please do. So I'll start, um, the, what you, what you're talking about is we used to go down to South Padre Island. So I, I grew up in Houston, this we all lived in Houston and, um, we would drive down to South Padre Island, which is on the, the, the Gulf of Mexico, kind of halfway down the coast of Texas. Um, and we would spend Memorial day and labor day there. And the Island is really skinny. And from one side, you can see the Gulf of Mexico. And then on the other side, you can see the Atlantic and, um, the very tip of the Island, the majority of the Island actually is our sand dunes. And so we'd always go to the sand dunes at sunset and we'd, we'd climb to the top and we'd watch. And we, and we did this, um, when my mom, my mom was alive. And so the first time that we went without her, um, and that's what I'm writing about. Um, I, and I'll just, I'll just start at the top of, of that page. The, the first years after we continued to make the trip South, my brothers and I would bring friends, each of us trying to avoid existing in a place with four where the fifth was so honestly missing. I started walking down the dunes to the Gulf during these years to touch the water, to touch something greater than me. I remember walking back and looking up towards the dunes, silhouettes lit by the setting sun. I watched my brothers, age, ages 15 and 7, and their friends jump to surf down the dune, one by one. Alone at the top of the dune, my father walked away from the edge as far as he could, then started running, his arms pumping, his tan, stout body moving along the ridge, and he leapt flung his body headfirst off the side of the dune. And this is how I remember him, suspended in air, arms open wide, daring the ground to break his fall, daring the ground to hurt him more than he was hurting. He hit headfirst and tumbled without control, without trying to stop himself. He tumbled as fast as gravity would allow to the ground below. Wow. That... This is beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, and he, and that's, he's, he is strong in the, in, and you know, his, that image of him with his body and moving and just taking on, you know, my, my brothers and I, his, his theme song is I won't back down by Tom Petty. And it, it's, uh, trying to honor, honor that, you know, he, he, he taught us a lot with that part of his personality. Sorry for that. Um, so 
one of the things I wanted to ask you as well was, is that this is a very, very personal story, meaning um, you obviously talk about your mother's um, death and your father's um, obvious changes due to that grief and then the impact that it had on you as well and just your world in general. So in a situation where you're telling these very personal stories, there's like this fine line between ways to open up that story for readers to relate, but also things that you need to hold back. So when you were writing this um, book, were there things that you found that were too raw or too sacred and that you've held back? And how do you balance the ability to be open, but also with the ability to still be a private individual who's going through this um, as a life experience? Yeah. Um, so there were, when I was writing this book, I began, I began to revisit um the memories that I, that I had not touched since they happened. For example, um, you know, when, when my father told us that, that my mother, that her body had been found and she's dead, um, the, those images, the, the last time I saw my mother, you know, re recalling those. And those were, um, I hadn't recalled the memory since it had happened. They, it was, you know, it was tucked away. And so when I pulled it out, it was fresh. It was unaltered. Um, it hadn't been, uh, transformed by, by the, by life. Um, and I, I didn't necessarily, th there wasn't anything that I was consciously, that I've consciously held back on. Um, the, the process of writing through this story, it, it clearly was cathartic. It's very, you know, when you, when you, when you move through grief, you're, you're going to change it, it. The relationship with yourself is going to change and it allows, it allows you to, to examine who you are as a person and what you think and what you believe and, um, and, and writing does that in general. And so then writing about, about grief as well. And, and that, that question, as I was was writing this, the all of a sudden realizing that the the man who had killed my mother was still alive, and that he he had had been living for the past eighteen years out, so you know, and and just started thinking about that. That was that was a a, a road that I did did not <laughs> expect to to open up. Um, just because it wasn't even in my awareness, it wasn't, it, I, I couldn't, um, he wasn't a part of the equation in, in the process, in my own process of moving forward. And, and suddenly he was suddenly there was this other human that was still living, still existing out there that had been. And, and so then starting to try to wrap my mind around that. And, and how do I, how do I feel about that? What do I, what do I think? Um, and so there was nothing, you know, writing, writing for me is the place where you, you have to be courageous. You have to, you go in and, and you, you start on the path and and you go for it and and that's what's so beautiful about it is that there are there are things to that of course they're they're scary and there's things to be fearful of but unless you move through it unless you you take it on and 
and explore it and and try to figure out what it is and make sense of it it's you know it's always going to be in that that cave of that we that we enter into um and my my goal really was to come out clean on the other side to to be to be clean to to move through the dirt and the grime and the and the gunk and so as far as not um as far as holding anything back there's nothing conscious that I've held back. Um, but I am, I am sure <laughs> there's still, there's still more stuff in there that, that only writing will uncover. So this is kind of leading me to my final question for you. Um, I will say that again, that I absolutely love this book. I wish that you could see it. I have sticky notes and, and remarks all over it. It's beautiful. Um, you have this um, portion of one of your mother's poems now that I know this in um, towards the center of the book. And the line is somewhere there must be buoyancy. It isn't a question of sinking. The answer is over water. And so before we go, could you speak a little bit to how you um, hope people will kind of walk away from your book with these ideas of grief and hope and how they don't necessarily cancel out the other, but they all kind of go hand in hand in some ways that if there is a way to kind of meld the two together and still, I guess you said, come out on the other side clean. Yeah, that, that was really important to me. The is, is to have a, a, a book that didn't leave the reader. The experience wasn't a, a downtrodden feeling when it was over. It wasn't a, a sense of emptiness when it was done, but but coming out on the other side with this this sense that we all have a choice to in in how we live our life and how we move forward and it yeah there's things that happen to everybody you know my i lost my mother when i was 16 and um there there is every single person has a story though and this just happens to be my story and that what what's universal is the loss and the grief that's something that everybody everybody will go through if you're living then that that's going to happen and and then what do we do with that and that that was the question how does how do we move forward when when we are faced with grief when we are faced with loss you know it's as a society right now as a world we are going through that we are experiencing this sense of of loss and 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 grief we are grieving together and and so that it was important because you you can stay there you can stay in that place but it's really unproductive and it and it's just going to you're just going to keep turning your wheels. And so how, how do you move through? And I, you know, I do believe that at our core humans are, are good individuals. We are, we are positive and, and whole. We are, we are peace. You know, we have, we have a sense of, of bliss at our, at our very core of our beings. And so when that, when that sense is gone, when we are experiencing grief and we're in the middle of it, what are the tools necessary to, to move us through? How does that happen? And and time, of course, is one of the major players. But getting getting to the end of the book, which is this, you know, the symbolic end of of the the journey, which of course I'm still on the journey. And and so it hasn't ended, but but ending it in a place of of, of hope, ending it in a place of um, giving the, the reader this idea. Um, that you do have a you do have a choice, and um, you know you can you choose to be where you are. 
thank you so much for sharing not only this book, but also your story, um, also your expertise and also your heart with the readers. Um, is there anything that you're working on or anything that you would like readers to know about, um, ways that they can find you on social media, ways that they can connect with you? Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- thank you very much for the opportunity. I've really enjoyed speaking with you and communicating with you. Um, I am on Instagram at doula yogi, D-O-U-L-A-Y-O-G-I. I was a, a doula in a, in a previous lifetime. And, um, and then uh, at Sarah Edelman on Twitter, and I will, will post things on there. I, I write occasionally on Medium. And um, I would, I, when I have a website, my, just my full name, uh, .com, sarahedelman.com. And um, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm Athena Dixon, a co-host of the New Books and Poetry podcast via the New Books Network.